Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 428 of the podcast. It's Carrie here. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I got David Nurse on the podcast for you today. We're going to talk about what NBA athletes and Fortune 500 CEOs have in common, overcoming intimidation as a young leader, and how to handle influence if it comes young. And uh, today's episode is brought to you by Lead a Better Team. You can learn how to build trust, efficiency, and productivity into your team without having to micromanage them by enrolling in my course, Lead a Better Team. You can get it at leadabetterteam.com and by Leader. Get their easy-to-use people development software and their free one-on-one meeting guide by going to leader.com. That's leader without the E, L-E-A-D-R.com. Receive 25% off your first year when you use the promo code CARRY. Well, I'm so excited to have David Nurse here. He is an author, a speaker, and a former NBA coach. He also happens to be related to uh, Nick Nurse. And he's got a brand new book. We talk about that a little bit, but also really his journey as a young leader. And uh, what I love about David and what I love about you is from what we understand from the data, about half of you fit David's demographic. Half the leaders to this podcast are between 18 and 35. I think David is in his early 30s. And so uh, it's just a real privilege to have so many young leaders investing in this podcast for me being able to spend some time with you. And I am committed to your success. So at the end, when it comes to the What I'm Thinking About segment, I want to talk to you about three leadership secrets that can really help young leaders gain an edge. And uh, David and I go all over the place with this. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. Now, all of you are either part of a team or you're leading a team. And before we jump into today's content, let's talk about something everyone in leadership deals with far too often, unengaged and unproductive staff. It drives bosses and leaders crazy. Maybe they're volunteers on your team. Maybe if you're leading a team yourself, you've got staff that you're like, yeah, they're just not bringing it. They not only cost your organization time and money, but they take away from the time you should be spending with your top performers. So if you want to reduce the impact on your organization and you want to increase the effectiveness of your overall team, my online on-demand course, Lead a Better Team, can help. Lead a Better Team gives you proven strategies and behaviors that build trust, efficiency, and productivity in your team without having to micromanage and without having to bear all the responsibility yourself. I've made some mistakes with teams. I've also learned an awful lot to the point now where if you interact with my team, a lot of people are like, how do you find these people? Um, How do you train them so that they're so encouraging, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I share a lot of those secrets with you. Well, actually, all the secrets in Lead a Better Team. So if you want to finish this year strong, Uh, Remember, we're heading into a new season before you can blink. It's time to act now. So start seeing better results by enrolling in the course today at leadabetterteam.com. That's leadabetterteam.com. And if you're looking for easy-to-use software to help you better manage your team, our friends at Leader can help. Our primary responsibility as leaders is to bring out the best in our team. But here's the reality. People want to be developed and led, not managed. So how do we develop leaders at every level of the organization? And if you want to double-click on that, this is what inspired Leader, the first people development software to help you engage and grow every person on your team individually. Never miss a note in a meeting, set clear goals for you and your team, give and receive feedback and more through Leader. 
so you can bring your leadership development, core HR, and health plans all into one easy-to-use software so you can get leaders easy-to-use people development software and their free one-on-one meeting guide by going to leader.com. That's L-E-A-D-R.com. No E at the end. Receive 25% off your first year when you use the promo code CARRY. So, With all that said, let's dive into a fascinating, wide-ranging, and enthusiastic conversation with David Nurse. David, welcome to the podcast. Gary, thank you big time for having me on, man. Really looking forward to this one, and I just got to tell you, I've been an avid listener of your podcast. I mean, you bring on good friends of mine like John Gordon, so if I can just live up to half that, we'll be doing something good. Uh, Listen, it's an honor to have you on, and so here's here's a fun place to start. You turned down an NBA coaching job to write a book? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Did I read that right? <laughs> Completely true. Sounds crazy, right? So yeah, yeah. my whole life goal had been to coach in the NBA after I figured out I couldn't play in the NBA. So a couple of years ago, the Phoenix Suns were flying me down to ask me questions on how to build the development program. And they were going to let me like literally just take the reins and put in my, all my optimization, bring in my sleep coaches, bring like the stuff that I was a nut for total optimization. And I was about to take the deal. They offered me a deal, a three-year deal. And I was talking to John Gordon, who's been a mentor to me and a really close friend of mine. And everybody else around me was saying, oh, it's great. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But he asked me the question, like, is that really what you want to do long term? Do you really only want to have an impact on basketball players? Sure, that's great. But I think you're I, I think you're made for so much more. So, yeah, I, I kind of sat on it for a little while. I was like, he's probably right. If I continue to do this, like I will be able to have an impact on basketball players. But I know these these skill sets, these tools, these mindset development things that I've been working on with these players can just translate and help so many more people. So I turned it down to write the book. And it's 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 the thing of like, you know what, the, the enemy to great is not bad. The enemy to great is good. And this was a good opportunity, but it wasn't the, okay, this is exactly what I'm super passionate about doing. And encouraging, speaking, writing, teaching, sharing the things that I've been able to learn is what I'm really passionate about. Which is really interesting because wasn't your goal to be in the NBA, but you realize there's not a lot of openings for six foot two skinny guys or something like that? Like, <laughs> what, what do- <laughs> yeah, man. So my, I grew up in a small town of Pella, Iowa, cornfields of Iowa. And now I'm not that athletic and six two. And my parents probably should have said, you know what, play baseball or golf, something like that. But I was so into playing in the NBA. It was like no other thing interest me at all playing in the NBA. I had no backup plan. I grinded my way to play college basketball and I'm playing overseas. Fast forward to playing overseas. And it sounds cool to say, oh, professionally overseas. But to be honest, it was more like the Will Ferrell semi-pro joke of a league. (laughs) So I'm playing in Northern Spain where they speak no Spanish. They're more interested in where the party is going to be at after the game. And I'm here just putting in these two-a-days. I'm still convinced I'm playing in the NBA when I'm the furthest thing from it. And not only that, I get cut from that team. So uh-huh. all my hopes, goals, dreams are just taken away, taken away and turned upside down and my head rubbed in the dirt. So I came home and I'm living on my parents' recliner chair, licking my wounds, feeling bad for myself here in Kansas City at the time. And my mom would always say these motivational and inspirational quotes. And usually it's like, whatever, mom, in one ear, out the other ear, whatever. She said this one I remember vividly when she was doing dishes. I was kicked back on the recliner in the living room. She said, David, when one door closes, four open in an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. 
And it hit me. It's like, I never heard that. I thought it was just one door, one door. I thought it was an even trade, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard that either. Yeah. I don't know if she made it up or if she heard it anywhere. Who knows? But what she was saying is everything that I had poured into playing in the NBA was actually for something greater, for a bigger purpose, to, to teach, to coach, mm. to help players who had the God-given abilities, the athleticism, the height to be able to play in the NBA. So then I poured, that was my pivot, I poured everything into coaching in the NBA. And we can go into those stories of how we got there and everything. But to, back to your point of turning down the son's job, like now I poured everything into coaching in the NBA, but I realized that wasn't the door. Like that door closing to the NBA was actually for more opening. And I'm speaking to you right now from Los Angeles, like literally overlooking the water, overlooking the ocean, four doors opening, an entire beachfront patio overlooking the ocean. So what most people think can be a door shut is actually an opportunity for four more to open and just greater things to come through what you have learned through this journey, through the process. And you're how old at this point, David? Right now I'm 34. 34. Okay. So you're, you're just sort of starting out. So that was about a decade ago. How, how long ago mm-hmm. were you still pursuing your NBA dreams? Yeah. Till I was 24 is when I got cut. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I, I got cut. And then I, when I made that realization, like, okay, I'm going to coach in the NBA. I didn't have any connections there. And I knew I had to do something to stand out. And the only thing I could do really when I played was shoot anyways. I couldn't I couldn't play any defense. I, was, I, I could never even dunk. I couldn't even hardly touch the rim. I wasn't athletic. So it's like, okay, I'm going to use my, my, my niche, my uh, elite skill and become the best teacher of that. So I studied up on who the best shooting coach was in the NBA. His name is Chip England. And I would write him letters, emails, calls. I even traveled out to Las Vegas to NBA Summer League just for the opportunity to meet him. And we were walking down Thomas and Mack Corridor Arena and I saw him. He saw me. He knew what I looked like. And we got to talking and he basically took me under his wing for that time being, gave me a ton of advice because he saw all the effort I was pouring into this and how bad I wanted it. And I went on to create this basketball with a line down the center of it and had him shipped from China to the Oakland seaport and got in my car from Kansas City, drove 29 hours to Oakland and literally spent the next five, six years living out of my car airports, random people's couches, just running these basketball camps for anybody that would bring me in, whether it's a seventh grade girls team, a YMCA, but like it was, it sounds like, oh, you lived in your car. Like that's a grind. It wasn't though. I loved it because that's what I was just, just dead set passionate about. Okay. So one of the things already, and we don't have the whole story, but you're pretty good at connecting with people. So before we get there, I got to ask you, nurse, one of your uncles is an NBA uh, coach, right? Nick Nurse, Toronto Raptors. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Is it true that he cut you at one point or fired you? <laughs> Super true. So okay. to his credit, to his credit, he drafted me first. He was kind enough okay, to draft so he drafted me in the NBA you. League. Yes. But then he cut me. So I thought I was better than I was as a player. Hence the, the story of playing overseas and thinking I was going to play in the NBA still. So he gave me the opportunity to, but also the realization that this probably wasn't my my path. But he's been like, he's he's been a mentor and amazing to me. And some of the like just the stories of of his journey, like just real quick, like his journey is it took him twenty seven years to become an overnight success. He'd been coaching hmm. at these small colleges. He was coaching over in England. I went over there with him. I saw him taping players' ankles popping popcorn at halftime, but he treated every moment, every coaching opportunity like he was an NBA championship head coach. 
And 27 years later, his first year as a head coach for the Toronto Raptors a few years ago, everybody thinks, oh, lightning struck in a bottle. He got lucky first year head coach. But no, he'd been doing that for 27 years. and People just didn't see that until it happened. So he's an amazing guy. He's, he's been a, just a great leader to me in my life. Well, that was an electrifying year for those of us who, uh, who know and love Toronto like I do. Yes, what was it like yes. when he had to cut you? How, how did that, how did he handle it? And how did you keep your relationship alive with him rather than, oh, that's the uncle I never talk about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it hurt. It stung because uh-huh. I thought, one, I was good enough. And two, like, he's my uncle. He's got to keep me on the team. So it hurt at first. But then I, like, my realization there was loving somebody is not about giving them exactly what they want. Loving someone is mm-hmm. about being extremely honest with them. That's what, I mean, I don't want, like, for me now, too, like, I don't want any yes men in my life. Like, I want people that are going to challenge me. Yes, support, but also challenge. So someone just to give me something, like if Nick was just to keep me on the team, it would have been doing me a disservice. I didn't realize it at the time, but afterwards I was like, you know what, that was actually, that was actually a blessing that he did that, taught me that lesson. Hmm. How did you get over that? Did you go through a period where you didn't want to talk to him or did you just kind of suck it up or, or what happened? Yeah, no, I definitely went through a period where I didn't want to talk to him and, and he will tell you I went through a period where I didn't want to talk to him. But when I realized, you know, like, I can either just sit in my own sorrow and just feel bad for myself, or I can use this as a learning experience and something that I can grow from. And it's, it was, I mean, that's happened to me many, many times in my life, as I'm sure it probably has everybody listening, where there's a failure or a setback that happens to them. And it's, it's really our perspective and how we see it. We get the choice every day to look at our decisions as either it's like a coin flipping in that Batman movie, the guy Two-Face. You flip the coin, if something bad happens, me getting cut from the team... Okay, I can look at that as like, okay, what can I learn from that? How can I grow from this? This happened to me for a reason and a purpose. So I'm getting better from the negative. And if something good happens, if I get a little win, boom, I'm going to build that on momentum, building momentum, these little wins stacking on top of each other. So literally every situation that we have, we can use it for our good. You've, you've had a really interesting life so far. So can you give us just the thumbnail biography? So wannabe NBA star. <laughs> playing in the semi-pro leagues, cut from the team, living in your car, coaching. Now you're an author. You is is that it? Is t- tell us? Did I get it right? Is that the trajectory? Fill in some blanks. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really close. Like you sound make me sound cooler than I am. But I mean, there was a lot <laughs> of there was a lot of uncertainty in there, and I was there was a lot of. People ask me, I'm from the Midwest, so everybody asks, you know, when are you getting a real job? When are you getting a nine to five? Like, there's a lot of people saying that I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. And, you know, it's it's obviously all led to this point, to this this spot I'm at right now. But, yeah, the biggest thing that you left out there is my amazing wife. Like, she's the coolest mm. part of that whole thing. NBA coaching, traveling. I've been to, last count was 53 countries and had some amazing food. Like, I love traveling for the food alone. But the best mm. part is my wife, and she's an actress, a, a producer. She's got a couple shows that are getting produced right now in the works, and she's just literally my rock for everything. She, so tell she's us my about support. your wife. Yeah. 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 So she is like, I mean, she's an actress. She's been in the show, some ABC shows, some, some big network mm. shows. But the coolest thing, you know, man, is just, just we just really enjoy being around each other. Like, mm. we just like this. 
you know, when those couples will say, hey, I need my own time, I need my, my space, like not us. We want to be around each other 24 seven. That's why we've loved the pandemic. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. to travel as much. We get to spend this time together, whether she's doing her work or I'm doing my work, we're still around each other. And just that, just that enjoyment, I think that it gets overlooked. Like we try to do what others couples don't do. Like everybody was telling us, oh yeah, just wait till the honeymoon stage in, ends. No, we go on a honeymoon every six months and we call it a honeymoon. We got one coming up in June. A honeymoon. Why, why does there only have to be one? Like why can, why can you not love your, your partner, your spouse more and more every single day? And we want to be those type of examples to, to other couples. That's cool. Your wife's name is? Taylor. Taylor. Great. So for everybody who wants to follow her on Instagram, she has quite a few followers on Instagram. Taylor. Yeah. Taylor Kalupa is her stage name. I, she took my name, but she still uses the, the stage Taylor name. Taylor Kalupa. Yeah. And what show is she <laughs> on right now? So she was on The Fix. It was a uh, OJ Simpson kind of setup right there. Oh, but yeah. over... Over the pandemic, she has been creating, producing with her friend two shows, and they've got offers from major net networks and everything. So that's probably all I can say on that. Or understand, I, I might be in the doghouse. For I might be in big time, trouble, but, but that's fine. There's good. So she's working on a couple though. of working on a couple yeah, of projects. Yeah, yeah. And you said it was funny. We were talking before we got recording. You said as soon as you saw her, you're like, she's the one. I had the same experience. Oh. So I got to tell you, you've been married two years. Yeah. I'm 31. I'm like, yep, she's still the one, which is great. But you just had that yeah. instant connection. But isn't it cool, though? Like you, you see yourself changing throughout the years and you guys change together. Like I know you had Tim Keller on. Doesn't he talk about my wife's been married to six different people and they're all me at different stages of <laughs> yeah, life? Yeah, that's so true. I You're love right. that. So, yeah, I mean, we, we grow, we change together, but we do it all together and it can get even better every single day. What's the most challenging thing so far in your life? And you know what? The most challenging thing is, is probably having my, all those, those goals that I had, my dreams taken away from me. So at that time, those were the most challenging things where I had to completely make a life pivot. Like the, the one in the NBA, I'll give you that story. That one, that one hurt a lot. I was with the Brooklyn Nets and I just came on with the Brooklyn Nets midseason and turned them around from t- help helped him go from 28th to second in three-point shooting percentage. And I was getting all this buzz, all this hype. I was 27 at this time, this young up-and-coming coach. And this was like, this was it for me. NBA coaching, like I was going to solidify myself for years and you years to be an NBA coach? coach. Yeah, I was their shooting coach. Yeah. So at the end of the year, the GM's telling me, three-year deal, like we're going to make it happen. We love having you here. I was getting this press, so I thought I was locked in. And the head coach had gotten released. So as NBA and sports go, when you bring in a new head coach, they they bring in their whole new staff. Mm. So I went from thinking this was my end-all, be-all, I was going to do this at the highest level, to one day the door was shut, slammed in my face, and no longer was I an NBA coach. And I was left scrambling. It was late in the offseason. I couldn't find every other team had all their rosters filled and everything. So it was, it was really crushing to see my my goals and dreams get taken away. But every time in life it happens and it just keeps getting better. Like it's, it's what I'm able to do now is it speak and write books. And I just signed a three book deal. So I got a couple, a few more coming out here soon. I just, I'm really passionate about helping, helping people harness their inner power that they, they don't know they have. We are our biggest defenders. We block like We all have God given gifts and abilities inside of us. But the biggest tragedy is that we just we just keep it pushed away. We keep it locked in. We have the 
the 50,000 self-talk thoughts a day and 80% of those are negative talks, negative thoughts that we're telling ourselves. So that's what I love doing. See people have breakthroughs in their life where they realize, man, I have this gift inside of me and I can use it. And it's selfish if I don't use it, if I don't go for it, if I don't take that chance and don't take that risk. So the most challenging thing for me is ended up being my biggest blessing. And I think, Mm. I mean, whether that sounds like, oh, I'm not struggling with anything, I'm daily struggling with things. Like I'm daily struggling Mm -hmm. with, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like, man, I just like, why can't I get this book deal? Like it's, it's good problems to have, but it's still, no matter what problems we have, we still have problems. What was the path from NBA coach living in your car that season of your life to author? It's not a intuitive path. Yeah. And it's, it's funny you ask that question because it's one of the main mindset points that I have in the book Pivot and Go and that I use and it's voting for yourself. I made the decision that I was going to be an author. I had these stories, these crazy stories. I had these points. I've was able to be around 150 NBA players and learn a lot from those guys. And so I made the decision, I'm going to vote for myself every day that I'm David Nurse, the author. Now, my identity did not say it was. My identity, anybody would ask you, was David Nurse basketball coach or basketball. But that's not the bigger picture that I saw. And so I literally every morning I, I woke up, I wrote down on a piece of paper in my journal, I vote to be an author. I vote to be an author. So I was daily taking these votes on myself to be an author. And I would start telling people. I would start telling people around me, hey, I'm, I'm writing this book. I'm writing this book. At first, it was like, uh, that gets some weird looks. But a few months go by and these people start asking me, hey, how's the book coming? How's the book coming? Like, it, So it just kind of it went from this can't be you to you speak it into existence. You vote for yourself daily and it can be you. Now it's almost the other way. Like, Still, I'm associated with basketball, but more people will know me for my book than they will basketball and being an author and a speaker, which is crazy to think four or five years ago that it would be like that. So that was, yeah, that was my journey from basketball. And then, I mean, I love basketball. I still work with NBA players on their mindset and help mm. the, the, help them take, like, that's the biggest thing, man, in, in sports and in business and everything is, is how do we, how do we have, like, get the most out of our total optimization, the most of it comes through the mindset that we have. So yeah, many more books to come. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, you have worked with over 150 NBA athletes. What are some common characteristics you see in NBA athletes? The good ones. Yes. Yes. I figured that's what you're asking first. So the the separator that I can can tell you when I'm with an NBA player and I would do pre-draft for a lot of these guys coming from college to the NBA and this, I, I could tell you within the first five minutes, if this guy was going to have a chance to be great, it's the, do I have to drag them to the gym or do they drag me to the gym? Meaning, wow. are, do, they, like, do they really have that drive? Because if I have to tell a guy, hey, we got to get up for workouts. Hey, you got to get it going. Come on, come on, slack. Let's go. It, he doesn't have that just intrinsic killer mentality, the Mamba mentality and that he just wants it. But if a player is literally telling me like, like Domatis Sabonis, one of the best players in the NBA I've worked with. Shea Alexander was a pre-draft guy I worked with. They would just drag me to the gym nonstop in the mornings and the evenings. I had to tell them sometimes, like, I, I can't even move. I'm just just worn out. 
but they wanted it that bad because they were in love with the process of it. They were in love with the unseen hours. It wasn't just about when the lights were on or the lifestyle that they could live. Like they genuinely loved working out. They loved getting better, the improvement process. And the majority of players, even at that level, you think they all might be like that. Mm -mm, The majority are not. So that's the difference, the separator, the biggest separator. And I'll tell NBA GMs when they ask about a player coming out of college, like, there's a, I've worked with the, the player of the year for Iowa. I've worked with him, Luca Garza, coming out this year. And the NBA is telling, saying, like, you know, he's, his feet aren't quick enough. I don't know if he's, he, he'll be able to play in the high-speed NBA. I'm like, yes, he will, because he, <laughs> he will drag me to the gym. And so it's just, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest separator that I've seen with, with the greats versus the guys who don't make it. Is that coachable? In your view, can you That's turn such... a semi-motivated person into a drag you to the gym person? Phenomenal question, Barry. And I, I, I think to an extent it is, but I think at the core, it's not. It has to be in them. And you, you could try everything. Like, I, like one of our mutual friends, Ian Morgan Cron, like I, I give people the, the Enneagram, figure out like what makes them tick, what motivates mm-hmm. them, what can really mm-hmm. get the most. But all of that is, is almost like a band-aid for a little while just a little booster for a little while but the long standing if they're going to have that consistency what i call relentless consistency it's something that they have to find within themselves now i don't i'm not saying that you have to be born with it but there has to be something that triggers it's just like falling in love with jesus and following jesus like it just triggers and you're like wow how did i do it before how was i ever like that before Mm. sometimes nba players will get that sometimes they won't and i've been around a lot of talented players that I tried, man. I tried to get them to understand it. They just couldn't. So when they're not, because you're right, they are all playing in the NBA and you would assume everybody is like that and they're not. What are the caps on their career? Because I agree. I see it as almost a selection criteria. Mm-hmm. We call it self-starters, right? Like if somebody's sitting around going, give me something else to do, it's like, oh, you're probably not going to work out well on this team if they can't see the work. It's like, you know, I want the people who are like, wow, there's so much to do here. And I see this and I see this and I see this. Yeah. Like, like that, that is something we try to select for rather than people who are like, well, I got the list done. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's interesting. So I guess my question is with the others who are on the team, what are they missing if they don't have that kind of drive? If they don't have that kind of drive, what separates them from being an elite player? Yeah. In other so words, that, you know, there. How many people? Again, you you know this if you listen to my interview with Rob Palenka from the Lakers. But I, know I don't Rob. know. Basketball. I got a story with Rob. Yeah. I can tell you too. Okay, I want to hear your Rob story. Definitely, <laughs> okay, okay. definitely. He's a okay. super dude. But I had to do He's research. Awesome. How many people are on an NBA roster? Like how many? They, how many people do teams carry? Normally, fifteen they carry. Okay, fifteen. So some guys number fourteen and fifteen on that mm, team. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he made the cut. Uh, so what gosh. is he missing because he doesn't have that drive? Yeah. So it can be literally, it can be opportunity. It can be, there's so many things that go into that when they're at that level and they're 14 compared to five or six, like the talent, like they're good. No, 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 no. The talent level's amazing. Hey guys that are, if you're in the NBA and you're 15th on the bench, that means you were one of the best players in college basketball altogether. But Mm -hmm. so, and and a lot of them, because they'll go as being the man in college, they won't understand like how to be the the supporter, how to be the guy who waves the towel, cheers him on. And I actually have a very, a great story about this. It was, he was a teammate of mine in 
in Greece, actually, it was the first the place I played before Spain, before getting cut there. His name was Aaron Baines, and he got picked up by the Spurs the, the year after, and he was the last man on the roster for the Spurs. And he was feeling bad for himself, and he was like, man, you know, because he was the stud. Like, he was a stud over in Europe and in college. And I, I was talking to him one time over over lunch when he just got picked up with the Spurs, and I was telling him, like, why don't you just decide to become the best towel waver you can possibly be? Like, why don't you just dominate towel waving? And meaning, why don't you be the best cheerleader you can be? Bring passion to it, bring encouragement to the players. And he literally embraced that and would just wave his towel like crazy. If you go back and watch the film for the Spurs, he'd be up waving his towel and it's infectious. Sure, the Spurs had a great culture, but he was just going and going. And he got his opportunity the year after. They won an NBA championship, still wasn't playing a whole lot but just kept waving his towel and the consistency of it. And then eventually he got his opportunity and he was so ready for it. He took advantage of it and got a deal the next year, a three-year deal with the Pistons. Then he got a deal with the Celtics, then with the Suns, then with my uncle's Raptors. And he's probably made about $100 million in the NBA because he embraced that, okay, I'm the 14th, 15th man on the roster. I'm going to just be the best 14th, 15th man on the roster <laughs> I can possibly be and wave my towel. Those are the people who always get promoted. In any organization yes. I've been a part of, totally. those are the people. It's like you're at the bottom of the org chart. But if they're waving that towel or sweeping that broom or like, hey, mm. can I get you another coffee? Whatever the support role might be. Because you, you, we've heard it on this show. So many people start at the bottom and they work their way up. That That is really good counsel. And you hit on another really good point too, David, which is you were the best player in your high school, the best player in your college. And all of a sudden, you barely made the NBA. That can be very ego deflating for people too, right? But you got to look totally. at the positive. Okay, what's your Rob story, totally. Rob Polinka? Oh, real quick. Okay, so this was, this must have been like four years ago when I was doing pre-draft for my friend Casey Wasserman, who runs a big sports agency. And they have a time a day that is the pro day. So this is like, this is like the beauty pageant for these guys going to the NBA. So you make them look really good. All the coaches come in, all the GMs come in. And you just basically set them up and like where they can make their best shots from. So they look really good. And our guys right. shot it like our guys shot it phenomenally, like shot so good from threes. And afterwards, Rob and Magic Johnson, who was working with him at the time, came up and talked to me like, we love what you did with these guys. We love what you did. Like some of the guys had only been there for like three or four days. So I didn't really have the impact to have on them. I was like, OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there, so we started talking about being a shooting coach for them and had some meetings, had some phone calls and about two months just kind of back and forth, figuring out what the what it would look like for next year to be the shooting coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. So I was like, this was I was super excited about this. And then that's when LeBron came from Cleveland to the Lakers and I didn't hear from anybody again. <laughs> so it's like, OK, <laughs> basically it was LeBron, who do you want? Bring on anybody that you want for anything. And that's it's kind of how it goes with LeBron. You got to, I mean, just have the understanding that if he decides he wants to bring his boys on, he brings his boys on. So I got it. No hard feelings on it, but hey, no. You know what I've learned in leadership, rock. David? It's uh, sometimes doors close, but they always have, it's what your mom said. It was your mom. Mm -hmm. It's like four yeah. more doors open and uh, totally. there you got the lake view. Like that's that's pretty cool. And I, I, I've, I've been disappointed by opportunities before too. And obviously LeBron, has his own gravitational pull as well, I'm sure, uh, from the little I know about basketball. But yeah, I, 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 I'm sure, you know, that, that that's going to come around at some point in a different way. Okay, you also work with a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs. So you're doing that. How did you get into that? 
And what are the similarities and differences between Fortune 500 CEOs and NBA players? Yeah, so there's a lot of similarities. Basically, it's the term the corporate athlete. The CEOs want to be NBA players. They want to know what the highest level minds are doing and athletes when all the pressure's on them. There's millions of dollars on the line every night. There's millions of eyes on them. How do they perform under pressure when the storm's going? And and all NBA players, they want to be Fortune 500 CEOs. They think they're all a business. Mm. They think they're all a brand. So there's a lot of similarities in there. And I saw those similarities. I was actually asked to come speak at a company at, at Nestle. And I set up a talk basically like I did with okay, what are these top athletes doing? How can it correlate to CEOs? And it was just so in step with what they were looking for when I was asking them about it. And I was calling it the breakthrough blueprint. And they're like, that's actually what our what our model this year is. It's like, perfect. So it's kind of just like had this perfect marriage at the right time of understanding that these guys at this elite level, guys, girls at this elite level want to want to be taught, want to figure out the small details that can separate them, that can take them not to, not from just good to great. Because a lot of people can do that. But how do you go from great to outstanding? How are you when you're at the top of your game, when you're this top NBA player, how do you take it to another level? How are you when you're this great CEO and you're running an amazing company, how do you separate yourself and take another step, be two steps ahead of the competition? Mm. So So how do you do that? That's great. So the the main struggle that I see with with NBA players and corporate leaders is focus. How do you stay Mm. focused? Because the more you can focus, the more you're going to be just, you know, laser sharp in. But but also to that point, focus, if you focus too much, you're only locked in on one thing and you can't see everything else around you happening. And as as high level leaders, we have a lot of goals. We have a lot of things that we have to be able to interconnect and weave through and continue to have just at this high, high level. So then it comes to the question of, okay, well, what if I get into flow? What if I'm just flowing? And then, and, and that's great. Flow is when you're using your natural abilities and you're just feeling it and you're kind of, you know, just like they have this great rhythm and it's a keep calm, carry on type thing, but there's always distractions too. And when you're flowing too much, the distractions are going to squash you. So if you're focusing too much, you can't see the distractions. If you're flowing too much, they're squashing you. So where do you get the mixture of this? And this is what I've been, I've been developing this for years on how to come up with it. I couldn't think of a term. There was no real term for it. So I just put them together and I, and I call it focus. Like how do you mix <laughs> this focus, high level focus with high level flow and this, this perfect, unlikely marriage of focus? And I have a, a system I call it the triple threat of how you set it up. So you build the structure. Everything is system plus process equals results. So building the, the structure of the system and understanding like what do you do at the highest level? Like what is your Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan was the most clutch player in the NBA. He everybody knew he was going to shoot that game winning shot all the time. And I'm friends with his point guard BJ Armstrong. He's an agent now, and he told me the story where Michael missed a game winner. And came back to the locker room, game winner against the Knicks, came back to the locker room and he was smiling. He was sitting there smiling and everybody else was down and dejected. And BJ's like, what are you like? What's going on here? And he's like, I'm going to take that shot every single time. I just love getting that shot. That's who I am. That is what I do. And I'm going to do it every single time. Like he was excited just because he got that shot. Like that, he knew that was his elite skill. So the question to CEOs and leaders are, what do you do at the highest level that nobody else can do? And that needs to be where you're you're pouring your time your energy like we can all do emails 
Uh, but are emails really going to move the needle for you? Mm. No, like you, you don't have to do, you don't have to waste time on that. That's what these distractions are. So understanding what you do at the highest level and then seeing what your distractions are. Like, let's say you look at, okay, what is keeping me from being the best leader I can possibly be? What are these distractions in my life? Okay, I have kids. Okay, there's, there's a commute. Yeah, there's emails. Now you take these distractions and you recruit these distractions onto your team. It's like what the Bulls and Jordan did with Rodman. He was a distraction. They couldn't get by him when he played for the Pistons. They recruited him to his team. Kobe did it all the time. LeBron does it all the time. The smart ones recruit distractions to the team. Can you have bring, bring your son into the family business? Can right. you put in an email? I do this now. Every email, uh, it'll be an auto response. Hey, I'm working on a great big project to help you find breakthroughs in your life. So like showing people that, hey, I'm up to something really big. I'll get back to you when I can. But don't expect their answer right away. So it's almost using this emails, a distraction for a positive game for you. A commute. Can you listen to a podcast, a book, a sermon, something to grow you, mm. grow your mind during this time? So there's always ways to use distractions as positivity. So that's kind of just the structure of it. And then the other part of the, the triple thread as we continue to go on bringing focus with flow is what I call the call-ups. And these are just like cues, snaps that can bring this, this, this moment of of focus back up at any time. I talk about the highlight reel and everybody talks about visualizing, visualization, and super important. And I use it with my NBA players. I show them their clips. They'll watch it every morning before they step on the floor for practice, before they step on the floor for the game. But the sense that we have that is three times stronger than any other sense is the sense of smell. So I call it the highlight reel 2.0. I'll have my players figure out what smell they associated with that in the zone moment of their life. What smell was that? So when they smell that smell, and we'll try to get it like whether it's whether it's leather from a basketball, then I'll have to say leather have from basketball, bas- sweat, uh, sweat, the hardwood yeah. court. Like I don't know. Exactly. So you recreate that, and that smell will trigger you back into that moment of okay, here I was at my best. Put visualization, yes, but add that with sensory of smell, and that's when you get the highlight reel 2.0. So there's a few more call ups that I have that I could go through, and then there's there's pull cords. So the last part is pull cords, meaning. If, if your parachute can't open up, you need that pull cord. What's the last resort? And if you could say like, you're going to have days that just suck. Like you can't get into it. You cannot. I'll have days where I'm trying to write, Gary, and I'll write two words. I just can't get into it. Yeah, but during those like times, that. yeah, during those times, then you just turn it over to serving. Like, how can I get out of my own head? And how can I say, okay, Taylor, I'm gonna, let's go out to dinner. Or if your kids yeah. like, hey, I'm going to take my kids to the zoo on Tuesday, write these IOUs that, that puts you in this service mode. Because once you're living in the service mode, and, and I can tell you some stories on this, on how impactful understanding living in the service mode was for me. Yeah, but what do you once mean you do that? that? So that means, and, and, the, and the tool that I use for this is every time you enter a room, look at your hands. Your hands are tools that you have with you all the time. Say the word serve. So when you open a door, say the word serve. Now you're thinking about, okay, how can I serve these people in the room? Because far too often we think about, okay, the people in the room, I need to connect with him. I need to connect with him. What can I get out of him? And it just drives us nuts. But if you go in there thinking, I'm going to serve, not only does it free yourself up, but also when you continually give, give and give and serve without expecting anything in return, it just comes back to you tenfold. It always happens that way. So living in the service mode is getting out of your own mind and out of your own, the world, like all the planets revolve around the world of me. And how can you pour into others? And I know I'm talking a lot, but I'll give you, I'm really passionate about this. So I'll give you a quick story on this. 
when I was coaching, this is when I realized it like full on. When I was coaching with the Nets, we were playing down in Dallas against the Mavericks. And I love to be the first person on the floor. Just kind of like the ambiance of it, just a quiet time to myself. It's just just my time. And this time I wasn't the first person when I came out there. There was a guy on the other side of the court shooting hoops in these old shoes, raggedy jeans, missing a lot of shots. And I walked by him to go to my side of the court. And he looks at me, he's like, you know, the older you get, the legs go. And being a shooting coach, I know that's not true. So I had to counteract. I couldn't let that slide. I was like, you know, it's not all about the legs. It's, it's how you generate the power and the momentum. And I could tell he was intrigued. And I didn't want to get into a 15-minute, 20-minute lesson with this complete stranger that I didn't know. But I also told myself two weeks prior on, on our road trip before that, that I was going to try to live in this service mode, meaning God's given me this gift to be able to teach people how to shoot whether it's a player, whether it's anybody, whether it's somebody just randomly asked me a question, I'm going to take the time. I'm going to do what I call my Jesus pace where he got so much done, but he was never in a hurry. I was going to take my time and I was going to pour into them. So I gave this guy some tips, some pointers, and, and he started making more shots, getting more range on the shot. And, and now the real NBA players had to come out and start warming up for the game. So we had to get off. And I just said, hey, look, if you want more drills, more than happy to email some over to you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Pulls out his business card hands it to me. I just slip it in my pocket and I'm on my way. So I get like five minutes before the game and I'm sitting there behind the bench before the game. And I pull out this business card. And just so you know, like I live out in Los Angeles, my wife's an actress, but if we saw a famous actor, I would have no idea who it is. And at this time, Shark Tank was not the Shark Tank that everybody knows it is. So this guy wasn't as recognizable, probably should have known who he was, but I didn't. It said Mark Cuban. So I just been like, yeah, crazy, right? I just been helping Mark Cuban harness his inner power for something he was passionate about. And that's when I realized, whoa, if I hadn't lived in this service mode, I would have passed this guy by completely. Now, Mark, I can text him. I can email him, ask him business advice. And he's just, he's, he's amazing. He's a great guy. But that's what have never happened if I didn't pour something into him, help him with something he wanted to improve upon. Gosh, I've got stories like that too, you know, <laughs> where crazy, right? I was so tired at the end of the day and this guy hops into my car, that kind of thing. And I'm like, oh no, I'm on again. And I'm like, hey, okay, what's your name? And I don't want to give it away in this case, but it was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that I had that attitude. Okay. So uh, you got a lot of people mm-hmm. who do love basketball. I've never, you know, I played in elementary school. I was terrible, blah, blah, blah. So I, I can't really sink a lot of baskets. But what are some keys to like shooting straight? How do you shoot better? What would you have yeah. told Mark Cuban that day? Well, his thing was he needed to get more power on the shot. And he thought it was all about his legs. But in reality, if, if you try to jump higher on your shot, your gravity is going to bring you down. So people will say, shoot at the top of your jump, but you're actually already getting brought down by gravity. So I just showed him how to shoot on the way up. Something that all great shooters do. They don't jump high on their shot, but they shoot when their momentum is going up. So that was the main thing that I showed him. And then I'll just break it down into three fundamentals, three basic fundamentals. If you give somebody more than three things, it's just going to overwhelm them and they're going to combust but it, i gave him three things and it's literally just right, take notes guys feet. stop pause yeah, pause so the show is. right now take notes here take notes is. here you go all of you nba <laughs> wannabes listen up here it comes it's your quick lesson here's a quick lesson and if you haven't if you don't have as many bad habits it's going to help you it's going to be quicker to learn those so i would tell the first thing is the base and that's that's the main thing that is that is your feet that is your balance this is your base and you're just going to be comfortable shoulder width apart Toes pointing to the hoop. So all you have to say is base. So I always have people say it out loud too, okay? Base. You have your base, okay? Then the next one is pocket. So pocket meaning your shooting pocket. 
kind of by where your pocket would be. That's where you're going to hold the ball. And it goes into more detail of how to exactly hold the ball and have your fingers in the grooves, split in the air hole, guide hand on the side where all the grooves come together. Little, little details, but I would show them that. So you have base, you have pocket. Everything is always straight and in alignment, straight and in line. So you're shooting straight, you're finishing straight, and then you have the follow through. And there's there's nothing more important than the follow through. And it just seems like that is just uh, a common theme for every sport that you play or That's everything like in life. Yeah, yeah, golf. I find that in tennis. Baseball. when I'm pl- Yeah, baseball for sure. And so those are the three main things. Focusing on the base, your balance, the pocket, that's your alignment, and the follow-through, that's your finish. A lot and of if parents really- going to be out in the uh, driveway tonight trying to take on the teenager <laughs> who just got better than them. It's like, I just got coached. I think I can beat you again. Yeah. That's and it. for those who may not know who Mark Cuban is, the reason he was there is he owns the team. Yes. Right? He, he owns, owns the Mavericks. The Mavericks. Yes. That's why yep. he was there. Yep. Fascinating story. What a great reminder. Um, okay. So why a book? Because that is the best way to reach the most people. And I actually learned this from a book that I was reading to a guy that you've had on your podcast, who's a friend with our mutual friend, Brad Lominick, who I haven't met yet, yeah. but I would love to. Mark Batterson talks about that. Oh, Mark. Of how, oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've read all his books, just consumed them. And, and he would say that, you know, I can go out and speak all over the place, but if I write this book, it can have an impact on mm. so many more people than just going to one-off. So- that's why I wrote the book, and that's why I'm gonna, going to continue to write books once a year. It'll turn into every six months. Like my goal, my mission that I'm on, don't have a job, don't have a career. It's a mission, and it's to be a mixture, basically, of a John Maxwell meets a Tony Robbins with a faith-based element meets a Tim Grover, who was Jordan and Kobe's trainer. So put those guys together, and that's what I'm going to be down the road. How did you develop that vision? You know what? That's a great question. I think it's just through just knowing that that is like, that's my true gift. My true gift is how do I, how can I encourage people? But how can I encourage people in a genuine way where they're actually tooled? Not just, not just rah-rah, not just pumping people up. Anybody can do that, be a hype man. But, but giving people, like I did with basketball, giving people skills, giving people tools. I love giving people actionable hows. I'm not smart enough to talk over anybody's head. I can't come at you like Simon Sinek and give you all these just beautiful words flowing together with the whys and everything. So I, I really love the hows. Like if I'm going to be taught something, great. I'm going to listen to a podcast, great. Like, okay, but now give me a, a way to do something. So hmm. I think it's just a culmination really of like, that's what my skill set has been. That's what I've loved doing. And the overall overarching picture is I, I love leading others to figure out what their, what, their, what their calling is, but how to actually actualize their calling. And then it motivates them to go teach it to others. So it's basically the whole concept of lead leaders, then they go lead other leaders. So, yeah, you know, you're making me think about it because a lot of, a lot of the time, 34-year-olds are not writing books. Do you have a lot of friends who are writing books <laughs> at your stage? Oh, I thought you were saying that you have a lot of friends. Like, no friends. Yeah, do you have a lot of friends? Yeah, you have a lot of friends. I want to talk to you about that. But do you have a lot of friends who are writing books? You know, people your age. Not not in my age. And it's, it, I was, yeah, it's kind of weird because I'm like, we've had a few, we've had a handful on this show, but like, usually you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s when you're writing books. Yeah, maybe it's That's interesting. Maybe I'm just an old soul character. I mean, pastors are a little bit different because they're creating content all the time. So they'll often do, 
devotional books, but that's that's really interesting. I can see it as a as a coaching thing too, David, where you know yeah. you're coaching players for a decade. Now you're coaching on a wider spectrum. It's just interesting. Yeah. 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 Totally. And okay. it's it's funny. Yeah. I was to say I was talking to my wife. We were talking about like our friends and my friends are most of them are in their fifties. Like John Gordon, Ed Milet, like Brad Lomina, guys that I talk to the most. There's not a whole lot of them that are actually my age, unless they're NBA players and they're usually in their twenties. So yeah, exactly. My, they're uh, a little bit younger, right? <laughs> yeah. My age. No, that's fascinating. Again, I'm just following the curiosity trail. Yeah. So. One thing Brad Lominick, mutual friend who introduced us, told me to ask you is, you're really good at connecting with people. And so Brad has drawn a distinction on this show and other places before between networking and connecting. He says, networking, you're kind of using people like, oh, I got I to gotta meet David so that I can meet, you know, so-and-so or whatever. But he says, connectors are different. Connectors are just really good at connecting with people. So from Brad Lominick. Um, how are you a connector? How how do you make all these connections? Because you seem to know a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. And first off, Brad is the ultimate connector. So he's the yeah, best. Yeah, he is. He knows. If I don't know somebody, I'm guy. like, Brad, you probably had dinner with him yesterday. Can you introduce us? Yeah. Yeah. We'll just have conversations. They'll drop some first name. Like, I'm supposed to know exactly who it is. Then they'll tell me, oh, it's this person. They're like the biggest of big people. So yeah, he's totally. the best at it, but he hit the nail on the head. Like a lot of people say networking or you get this term terminology from LinkedIn. I got a network. I got a network. And that's a dirty term. Connecting is mm-hmm. about building true, genuine relationships. And, and you actually just hit the nail on the head too. When you said, I'm following my curiosity. Like I go into mm-hmm. every conversation being curious. I, I, people, everybody has a story and I yeah. want to hear it. I want to know what makes them tick. And you do a, you do a great job of that. I can tell through asking these questions, but yeah, the power is in in connecting for, yes, it it makes you look good and putting t- people together, but it's just like, that's the only way that this world can, can improve. If great people, great minds are working together. If it's just one person, like one's way too small of a number, but if you put these amazing people together, like they can create so many just things that we couldn't create without it. So I, I've just really... Like I love relationships. I love learning people's story. That's why I love podcasting because it's a selfish way for myself to learn from a bunch of people and get to know a bunch of people. But I understand. I mean, that. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, there's an art to it too. It's it's knowing that hey, you're gonna put two people together, and there's there's a connection. I use basically I've created a connection calculator in my next book. Actually, is one of the tools that you're gonna use because you have to filter it through. Like if these people aren't like on the same type of mission or they don't have any commonalities or one person might be what their, their status might be way higher than the other person's like, you can't necessarily just throw everything together. So there's an art to connecting and figuring out, okay, if I'm going to connect John Gordon and Ed Milet together, which I did for them to make an amazing podcast and become super good friends, like there has to be a value add to both of them. It can't just be a, uh, uh, Ed just, just take on this. Like, like maybe they'll do that because they're a friend once in a while, but you have to look at where's the value add for both of right. these you're people You're cashing in, this in chips. At a certain level, mm. you're cashing in chips, right? And you have to be totally. so careful on that. I had that yeah. this morning where someone said, hey, can you introduce me to X? I won't say why. And I'm like, you know what? Haven't talked to them in a few months. I don't know them really mm. well. Let me reach out, see if they respond. And if it's natural, I'd be happy to do it. But yeah, you got to be careful with that stuff. Totally. How do you, have you ever been intimidated by somebody you've been introduced to as a young leader yourself? Yeah, you know what? I used to get I used to get really intimidated and nervous when I stepped into a room and 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 meeting with people. But I think it came to a point, Carrie, where I was just like, 
you know what? God is up there looking down at me and just mm. he's cheering me on. He's like, you know, David, you're doing a great job growing this business, growing this brand. But then he's just laughing. He's like, that's cute. No, David, that, that's cute. But that's not the biggest picture, the biggest purpose of it. So when I walk into to rooms and meet these these people with high status and should be intimidated by, I know that majority of people that would walk into that room will be. And these guys, are everybody's just a human. Everybody's a person. Yeah. We all struggle from the same type of things. And when you can see somebody as this, then it takes a lot of like, you're not worried about it. Like, I'm not going to treat, so I'm not going to go into a, like one of my super good friends is Eric Spolster now. We're just just at at lunch with him down in Miami. Like, I'm not just going to be like intimidated by Eric or taking a bunch of pictures with him or trying to use him in any way. And like, I'm just, he wants a friend. I want a friend. Let's genuinely have mm. a friendship. And that's all it comes down to. Everybody at the core, everybody's a human and we all have insecurities. So to look at these high status people as more than just a person, like they don't even want that. Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of them don't enjoy the notoriety that comes along with what they're doing or what they're known for. So the book is called Pivot and Go. You've done a lot of pivoting in your life, right? Multiple times. What it's, and it's, 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 uh, I've, I've seen this. It's a little bit of a book trend, which I think is actually cool. Um, but it's like a 28 day plan. Is that it? 28 days? Yeah. So, so 28 days to 29 is the day you get to choose to make it a lifestyle. Ah, there you go. Mm-hmm. So, what's what's in it? If someone picks up the book, what are you hoping will happen in their lives? Yes. So a pivot is a basketball term when you can't see the hoop, defenders are all over you, and you take this just small turn, not a big drastic turn because change, big drastic change is very daunting. It's very tough for people mm. to do, but small, slight perspective shifts. If I'm looking at something from one, one direction and just slightly pivot it, it can open up an entire horizon. So being able to look at different situations that you look at it from a slightly different perspective and looking at what, like, for example, like what does success mean? Most people look at it as you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to be, you have all this notoriety, Instagram followers, but really is that success? Do you want to be Steve Jobs on your deathbed and miserable? One of the richest people there was? No. What is success to you? What is failure? We talked about failure. What like you can use that as a positive in both ways. What is true joy? What is true passion? What is true confidence? And it's really just a, a outside the box, a little bit different perspective look on struggles that we might go through on things that get us stuck. So essentially, this is written for people who have felt stuck in their life. We've all felt it to some extent, especially over 2020 and now feeling feeling stuck. Even even in this year, a lot of us are. Yeah, yeah. But how but it, it and then it's an actionable actionable tool of how to get unstuck. And that's the go part. So how do you pivot? And then how do you go? Can we drill down a little bit on confidence before we wrap up? Because that's something a lot of leaders struggle with. I I think underneath a lot of leaders is insecurity. How do you define confidence, David? Man, we could go all day on this too. I love this. I have a seven steps to unshakable confidence that I teach Mm. to leaders, that I teach to players. And we can go super in depth. Maybe we'll do another one. We'll go in depth on that. But okay, well, give us give us the overview. Yes. So the main part of confidence at the core. So confidence is looked at like okay, this is your resume. These are your accomplishments. This is this is this. This is and and you and you can gain confidence from that. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg of what true confidence is about. True confidence is about true self 
awareness, knowing that mm. you stand for so much more than what any result, what any stat on a basketball sheet can say. And I learned this in the story I tell is a, a really good friend of mine, Jeremy Lin, went through this time in 2012, 2013 called Lin Sanity. And he is basically came out of obscurity and he took over the NBA. He was going for game winners, 30 points a night, like literally out of obscurity. The guy was about to be I think be I even cut. know that name. Yeah, he must be quite famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's very, yeah, 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 he's very famous. And if you look it up, you'll see. And he was at the top of the top. He was the number one trendy thing in the world for weeks. Like he had all the press, all the media, everything on him. And if he was being honest with you, he'd tell you he would never want to go through that time again, because instead of living in the appreciation for what he had done, he was living in the what ifs. What if I can't keep this up? What will people think of me? What if I can't keep this pace going? And it drove him nuts. And that drives us nuts. Like that is the results. Like we have to keep out performing, keep out performing, keep out performing, and it'll drive you insane. But the one of the biggest accomplishments I've seen him have in his career, me helping guide him to do is, is find his true self-awareness and that he stands for his Taiwanese people. He stands for his faith in Jesus. He even stands for thinking he's a great gourmet chef in the kitchen. So much more than just basketball and just what the identity is. So when you figure out your self-awareness of who you truly are, and then with that confidence, like there's other tools to it. Like we talked about the call-ups. So we talked about confidence through serving, confidence through visualization, confidence through comparison. Somebody's done it before mm. at a high level that you want to do it at. Instead of comparing yourself to them and feeling bad about it that you're not there, just follow their steps. Kobe Bryant did it to Michael Jordan. I did it to Chip England. Like that's encouraging that somebody's been there before. So there's more steps that go into it. But at the core, confidence is point. about true self-awareness. I love that. We say to our team all the time when we don't know how to solve something, it's like, look, somewhere on earth today, mm. someone has figured this out. Let's be those people. Let's let's let, let's Google this to death. Yeah. Let's call a friend. Let's figure it out because somebody is going to get this breakthrough. We might as well try to figure it out, right? Somebody has gone before. Very rarely, when you think you're doing a new thing, are you really doing a new thing? I mean, this whole show has been way bigger than I ever thought it would be, but nobody was doing this in the church space. And I just sat down about six and a half years ago and said, I'd like to bring these conversations to life. Long form works in the business space. I think I'll try it. And here we are all these years later, right? Um, but there, there's always people who've done it before, which is awesome. Um, okay, what would you say to leaders? Because I loved, I loved your title, Pivot and Go. I have a course called The 30-Day Pivot. One thing we hear all the time on my channels is, I'm sick of pivoting. Like, we pivoted <laughs> so much, I'm too tired. What would you say to the exhausted, defeated leader who would say, love you, David, thanks, nice interview, I'm too tired to pivot? What would you say to them? <laughs> I don't know, totally. We're feeling that burnout. That burnout is real. I would say... You know what I say? I would say laugh at yourself. I would say find mm. something that you suck at, that you're bad at, and just do it and laugh at yourself and know that it is okay to laugh at yourself. Because as we as leaders, high performers, wanting to take it to the next level, we put so much pressure on ourselves, whether it's pressure from outside, whether it's pressure from our boss, whether it's pressure from ourselves, and that builds up and it just wears us down. So laugh at yourself. Do something. I took a, uh, a YouTube hip hop dance class with my wife a couple of weeks ago. I am horrible. Like I can't make my feet and my <laughs> arms move together at, at all. But instead of getting so frustrated that I couldn't figure something out, just laugh at myself. NBA players. I've done it with, with Domatis Sabonis. Like he was just took himself so seriously. And if he missed a shot, he just drove himself nuts and wanted to kick the ball across the court. Once he realized, you know what? I can just laugh at myself. It's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to have a bad yeah. week. 
it's okay to have a bad month, but it's it's there's no straight line to success. It's always like the you know the stock market's going up and down, yeah, up yeah. and down, and curving, but it's always trending up. So just yeah, just take a step back, do something you're bad at, have fun with it, and laugh at yourself. That's good advice. That's good advice. Okay, people want to find you. Uh, what social channels are you active on, and then where can they find the book? Yeah, so social media, David Nurse NBA, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of those. The book is anywhere books are sold, Amazon, mm-hmm. my website, davidnurse.com. I do a coaching program that I call Be the Breakthrough, where I teach people how to find what their gift is, what their passion is, mix it with their purpose. Passion plus purpose equals mission. And so we go through 90 days and it's really fun, man. It's really fun seeing people have breakthroughs in their life. And and my my latest thing I've been doing, which is coming out in October, is my next book, which will tease out there a little bit, but it all has to do with helping people turn little happy accidents into regularly occurring breakthroughs. Boom. That's my oh, teaser. That's for it. really cool. David, thanks so much <laughs> for being with us today. Really appreciate you, man. It's good to good to hang out. Gary, you're awesome, man. Thank you for all you do, brother. Well, I'm so glad to have met David and had this conversation. Thanks for Brad Lominick for that introduction. Um, speaking of sports, this seems to be like sports year. Derwin Gray is on, and we're not really talking about, the, well, we do talk about the NFL. He is a former NFL player. He's a pastor, uh, but we're really going to focus on next time is racial diversity in the church. Hey, if you want uh, show notes for this episode, you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 428. You'll find transcripts there. Uh, but I'm excited to bring you Derwin back to this podcast. He was one of my first guests, like way back in, I don't know, 2014 when we started this. Derwin was on the show. And uh, man, it's good to have him back. Here's an excerpt from what's coming. I wasn't going to let anybody close to me because you could hurt me. You could let me down. So mm. from about 13, I felt like I was an adult. And football became my way out of the environment that I was in. I went to an incredible high school where the football coaches taught discipline, self-reliance, teamwork, sacrifice. And I bought into that philosophy. And I was the first male to, in my family to graduate high school. I went to college. So that's next time on the podcast. Also coming up, we got some great guests and subscribers. You know that you get this for free. We have Juliet Funt, Amy Porterfield. Uh, Horst Schultze from the Ritz-Carlton. We have Louis Giglio, Steve Carter, and so many more. So pumped for what's coming up this year. And uh, yeah, you can get that free when you subscribe. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for trusting us with your time every week. We try to bring you the very best guests. And um, hey, it's time for what I'm thinking about. But I want you to know we're doing a bit of a switch up here on the podcast. Starting in August, We're going to begin a new segment instead of what I'm thinking about called Ask Me Anything About Productivity, okay? I will be taking questions from you, the listeners, and answering them on the show. I'll be coaching you in a Q&A. So if you have questions related to productivity, we're going to really drill down on that theme in September. Head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash podcast and click on the Start Recording button. And uh, yeah, Ask me anything about productivity to record your message for me. If you listen to podcasts like Seth Godin, you know he does this all the time. And I want to coach you. So ask me anything about productivity. Go to kerrynewhoff.com slash podcast. And uh, we're going to be starting that in, uh, well, just a short while. In the meantime, it's time for What I'm Thinking About. And it's brought to you by Lead a Better Team. Learn how you can build trust, efficiency, and productivity into your team without having to micromanage them. Enroll in my course, Lead a Better Team, and you can get it today at leadabetterteam.com. 
And Leader is going to help you drill down even further with their people development software and their free one-on-one meeting guide. Just go to leader.com, that's L-E-A-D-R.com, and receive 25% off your first year when you use the promo code Carry. So as you know, I love young leaders. I was a young leader once and I had a lot to figure out. We have a lot of young leaders on the team and I've had the privilege of working with them over the years. But uh, here are three things that I try to onboard everybody with now for about a decade and it just helps so much. So if you're a young leader trying to figure out how to get an edge, uh, I heard Warren Buffett's criteria for young leaders is something like integrity, intelligence, and initiative. So good, so good. I've got three I want to share with you as well. Okay, one is proactivity. So many problems emerge when people fail to take action. So when you have inactivity, uncertainty, and hesitation, it just creates confusion in organizations and it plagues people. So if you're a young leader, here's what I would encourage you to do. Take the initiative. Don't wait for someone to ask you to solve a problem. Start tackling it. If you're not sure ask. They'll be grateful you saw it. And they may actually give you full authorization to handle it. Uh, We're having some work done at my place and there's a crew that arrives every morning. But the first guy on the site every day is a 23-year-old. And I pulled him aside the other day and I just said, dude, you know, that's so impressive. If you're a boss, like you look at the people who show up early, take initiative. It's so good. He started working before anybody else did. And people like that tend to get promotions. It just happens. So be proactive. Second thing is take responsibility. Often in a team setting, responsibility for tasks is unclear. And if everyone's responsible, nobody's responsible. So I would say as a young leader, just assume responsibility. Um, You might say, okay, I don't know who's doing this, so I'm going to give it a shot. That's sort of tied to initiative, but it's also responsibility. I mentioned mentioned that uh, Horst Schultze is going to be back on the podcast. One of my favorite stories from Horst is that when he ran the Ritz-Carlton, He said, anybody who saw a problem owned it until it was solved. So let's say you're the electrician changing a light bulb in the lobby and you happen to see a guest is having trouble with check-in and nobody's paying attention. You know what you do? You get off your ladder, you go solve the problem and you don't go back to changing the light bulb until it's resolved. I love that. That is responsibility. So um, a young leader has a chance to really take on responsibility. Uh, you can ask if you're not sure, hey, what do you want me to do? I'd love to help here. And second, just just do it, all right? Seasoned team members love young team members who take initiative. And then finally, this one's huge for everyone, but especially young leaders, communication, communication, communication. At some point, I want to double-click on that and because I am convinced that the ability to communicate well is a superpower in leadership. Uh, I am convinced you almost cannot over-communicate. Marriages and families collapse because of poor communication. Companies dissolve. So do teams. So when in doubt, communicate. Um, This takes at least three forms. Where there's lack of clarity, ask for clarity. If you're not sure, just say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a few more questions? When you've completed something, tell your boss. Okay, if you've done a project, don't just do it and don't, don't say anything. Tell your boss. Slack, you know, send an email, a text, drop by and go, hey, just so you know, I got that project done. Um, Bosses love to know that. And when something is falling behind, because you can't hit every deadline, I know you try, but if you sense you're going to miss one, let the team know. Say, hey, I am having difficulty delivering for Thursday. Just wanted you to know. Let me know if there's anything I can adjust, Uh, but I will have it to you instead Friday at noon. Um, Let me know if there's any challenges at all. Okay, that's way better than Thursday coming around and the boss going, where's that report? And you're like, oh yeah, it's not done. Okay, so just communicate, communicate, communicate. 
I always say to my team, if you're over communicating, I will let you know. In over two decades of leadership, never had to tell anyone they're over communicating yet. So just communicate, communicate, communicate. So those are the three. Be proactive, take responsibility and communicate and you'll gain an edge as a young leader. Really hope that helps. Back with Derwin Gray next time. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.